This is the Pariah Podcast, written and read by the author, a.k.a. me, Philip Carroll, a.k.a. Norval Joe. This is episode number 15, A Change in the Weather. As the summer solstice approached, the weather turned warmer. The uniformed wooled tunics and their high, stiff collars became unbearable to wear. When Keogh thought they would begin to lose trainees to heat sickness, they were informed they would be receiving their summer uniforms. The company looked like a completely new group of young people as they put their winter uniforms into wooden lockers with mothballs. Crisp, tan linen tunics replaced the sagging red woolen ones, and cool linen leggings replaced the hot and scratchy winter hose. Keogh felt like he was back home at a summer solstice dance when all the young girls showed up in their prettiest skirts and fresh linen blouses. He couldn't wait to see how Crystal looked in her new uniform. He wasn't disappointed either. The tan tunic was a much better contrast to her pale skin tones than the red wool had been, and the tucks in the blouse accentuated her petite female form. Keogh thought the rotting fraternization rules would probably kill him. They had already lost two from their company to remedial training, though other companies had lost more. How were young people supposed to live under such rules? Others their age, back in their homes, were dancing, holding hands under the moonlight, and some were even marrying. But here, they were expected to live side by side, work side by side, but not develop any kind of emotional ties. Maybe after he got his tiger hawk he would understand better. Halfway between the summer solstice and autumn equinox, their period of instruction with Sergeant Nightsong was about to end. To evaluate how well their empathy skills had improved, each trainee was to enter a creature stable and try to communicate with as many of the creatures as possible. Stalls lined both sides of a long, wide stable, the doors standing open, and in each, a creature and its handler relaxed in the straw. The handlers watched attentively, as each trainee approached and gave a command to stand, sit, or wag a tail. The students had one hour to reach as many creatures as possible. The instructors always debated whether the trainees could actually communicate with the creatures, or if the handlers were reacting sympathetically to the trainees and subconsciously influencing their companion. They had always maintained that a creature truly only communicates with its handler, Why then should the animals hear the requests of multiple trainees? Regardless, if the trainees were able to touch the mind of the other creature handlers, it showed they had developed a reasonable amount of empathic skill. Keo stood at one end of the stable and watched the members of his corps run about trying to find those creatures who were easiest to approach and to avoid those who were stubborn or overly aggressive, a waste of time and effort. Keo heard from the side. Sergeant Nightsong appraised him with a sideways look. Why are you not with the rest, communicating with the creatures? Sergeant, I didn't want to cause confusion and frustration with the rest of the company. I've already spoken with most of the creatures. The noise of so many trainees in here at once frustrates and irritates many of the older creatures. I have known you to possess more empathic skill than most, "'But I am supposed to just accept your word?' she asked, her tone more skeptical than before. "'No, I suppose not. Which creature do you want me to talk to?' Keo asked. 
Come with me, she said. No, Sergeant, with all due respect, just tell me which one you want me to talk to. She looked around the stable and settled on a modded gray winged leopard horse. None of the trainees attempted to speak to the creature that stamped its hooves at any who approached. She pointed it out to Keo and said, Tell it to do something that I may be able to see from here. Before she even finished her request, the creature looked at them, leapt from its stall and cantered down to stop in front of them. It tipped its broad round head and laid its ears back for Keo to scratch. The creature's confused handler trotted after it. I've been told that I have a way with animals, Keo said. The sergeant laughed and said, All right, you've passed. Keo walked the length of the stable with Sergeant Knight Song, watching each of the trainees trying to speak to the various animals. He stopped to watch Bree, who stroked the neck of a tiger hawk. It purred loudly and pressed its head against her chest. Bree glowed with excitement. He had known Bree for several months now. The girl had been so odd and ugly to him at first sight, but now there was no one he trusted more and truly depended on more than her. He hadn't considered that in months, his thoughts being more drawn to the pixie girl at the head of the first corps. Crystal was petite and had a womanly shape, while Bree was closer to his own height and well-muscled from her years working on the fishing boat. Yet, Bree was obviously a woman too. He noted her in her summer uniform. Why hadn't he noticed that until now? Had he been looking at her with his empathic eyes only and not his normal vision? Damn these rotting fraternization regulations, drawing his mind to thoughts he couldn't act upon at the time. That evening, after dinner, the Corps was all inside, cleaning their quarters and arranging for the next morning's inspection. Keo stood in his doorway to the passage and watched Bree and Belinda in their room, sitting on the floor, talking. They had become instant friends the moment they met as roommates. Enthusiastic chatter from down the passage told him others had formed friendships as well. He suddenly felt acutely alone. He had no one to talk with, without the feeling that he was the superior and the other was choosing his or her responses accordingly. They may talk casually, and even intimately, but Keo remained the leader, and one step away from everyone. He looked back at the two across the hallway, and saw that Bree was looking at him now. Hi, Bree, Keo said. It feels like months since I last really talked to you. She got to her feet, and walked to the doorway opposite his, and leaned against the frame in an accurate mirror image of him. I've thought of that myself, a few times, she said with a smile, that seemed somehow less than her normal. You've just seemed so busy that, I guess, I didn't want to interfere. His heart pounded as words bashed around in his head, struggling to be spoken, but the time wasn't right. Belinda did not hide her interest in their exchange, clearly watching and listening to them talk. He had his destiny, and Bree must have hers as well. I wish, he said, but his throat was too dry to complete the sentence. Did he even know what he wanted to say? <clears throat> her orange hair was out of its clip, and some of it hung down across her forehead and cheek, obscuring the roundest childlike appearance. Keo licked his lips and looked down at the floor. I don't know what I was going to say. It's okay, Keo. I wish too. But a wish is just a dream, and dreams don't come true if you can't do anything about them. And we're kind of stuck that way right now. Yeah, I, I guess you're right, Keo said, and went back into his room. 
he sat on his bed. He wondered how Morden was doing, or what he was doing for that matter. He'd told the boy goodbye the first morning of the selection and hadn't seen him again. He wasn't selected for creature handler, that was obvious, but had he been assigned to the military, or was he going to learn some of the civil forms of service? Keo, being the last child in a large family, had rarely felt alone for much of his childhood. Brothers and sisters were always available for pranks and play. Even after they had mostly all grown, they were close by and available for visits. Then the grandchildren started and were underfoot. Back then, he sought out opportunities to be alone, tending the sheep in the pastures, milking the cows in the dark of the morning, and wandering the orchards checking trees for damage and decay were activities that he had looked forward to. Here in the creature handler camp, he was surrounded by people his own age, but he couldn't be friends with any of them. After everything else, he was always their leader. He could resign his leadership position and become just one of the other trainees. There was nothing wrong with that. He would still collect an egg and hatch it to become a creature handler, but this way he could have friends and relax and have fun. Keo stood and shook off his melancholy self-pity. He had a destiny. He had to follow it. And if being a leader was what he was dealt, he would just have to take it, work with it, and make it his own. Keo nodded to Bree and Belinda as he turned down the passage and headed out the front of the barracks. He passed the third and second corps barracks on his way to the first corps. A boy out front was scrubbing one of the two windows facing the parade ground with a wet rag. He turned when he heard Keo's feet on the gravel. Corps leader Noshani, the boy greeted with a friendly wave. Hi, Keo said, somewhat hesitantly, and then asked, Is Corps leader Spinebeck free? The boy dropped the rag into the wooden bucket and said, I'll go check. She came out with a cheerful smile and stepped down before him and said, Keo, it's nice to see you. Do you need something? Can I ask you some questions? He started and added quickly, I was raised on a farm, not at all prepared to be put into leadership, and I was hoping you could help me out. Be serious, Keo. You're a natural leader. You're doing a lot better with your link leaders and core than I am, or anyone in our company for that matter. Sure, I guess, Keo said, when you're talking about people our age, but I don't know a thing about what goes on on the bigger scale, like what happens in the kingdom and the designations. Well, besides a few things Morden told me, I feel like there's something just waiting for me to turn my back on it so it can bite me on the tail. Maybe if I knew more about it, I'd feel better prepared. I'll tell you what I can, Keo laughed and batted her eyelids in an appealing way that Keo didn't think she was aware of. What kind of questions do you have? They walked side by side around the sea company inspection grounds, Keo asking questions, Crystal offering insights from experiences with her uncle, aunt, and many cousins. They also talked about their homes, upbringing, and laughed about silly things and mistakes and challenges. Keo noted a sad undertone to Crystal's stories and was often tempted to ask what made her sad and resistant, but didn't want to break the magical spell of walking with the petite designate third. Neither Keo nor Crystal noticed Kayleen and the other corps leaders of B Company watching them that night or the many subsequent evenings they spent together as the year wore on past the autumn equinox and toward midwinter's night. A few weeks before midwinter, the weather took a cold turn. 
Rain on the northern plains was less frequent during the winter than it was in the spring, but temperatures dropped below freezing during the nights and barely climbed above it in the daytime. Red winter uniforms had been pulled from trunks, and the lighter summer uniforms packed away with the memories of balmier days. During the days, the trainees spent most of their time indoors in the training rooms of the main camp or in their own barracks, practicing skills they had learned earlier in the year, or just staying close to the coal stoves at one end of the building or the other. Keo and Crystal kept their semi-regular nightly stroll discussions. Dressed as warmly as possible, they talked and walked the perimeter of the company inspection ground. One evening, as they followed the outer boundary of their assembly area, away from the barracks, Crystal was suddenly on the ground, staring blankly into the brilliant starry sky. "'Crystal!' Keo shouted, turning to her supine body. He slid sideways on a large patch of ice and nearly joined her to lie on the ground. Instead, he carefully knelt by her side and felt for her head in the dark. "'Can you hear me?' She groaned. "'Crystal!' he said again, putting his cheek against her forehead. He felt her eyelids flutter against his jaw. "'Crystal, can you hear me?' he asked again, finding her hands and holding them. "'Um, yes. I'm sorry. What did you say?' she asked. "'You just slipped, and I think you hit your head. Can you tell me your name and where we are?' "'Yes,' she giggled. "'I'm Crystal. You are my husband, and this is the Spinebeck designation. Our designation, you silly goose.' "'No, Crystal, Corps Leader Spinebeck,' Keo said, looking around to see if someone was close by who could help, but anyone with any sense was inside where it was warm. Keo slipped his hands behind her head and felt a good-sized bump on the right side where she must have hit the frozen ground. "'Ow! That hurts!' she complained and moved her head away from his hand. "'Who am I, Crystal?' Keo asked again. "'You're Keo,' she said. "'And what am I?' he asked." You're, um, the corps leader from the, um, 4th Corps in C Company. You hit your head pretty good, and I can't see anyone outside who can help us, so I'm going to pick you up and walk you back to the barracks. Then we'll send for a healer to check your head. She stood, but swayed widely, and Keo had to grab her to keep her from falling again. Forget it. You don't weigh that much. I'm going to carry you back to the barracks. Put your arm around my neck. Gladly she said as he lifted her. With her arm around his neck, she pulled herself forward and kissed him on the lips. It only lasted a moment, but warmed him all the way back to the barracks. Thank you for saving my life, she said. I didn't save your life. It's because of me you slipped and hit your head. Don't be so dumb. I'm not talking about my head. I'm talking about my life, she said. She didn't sound like she was dizzy or sleepy, and her eyes looked clear and coherent in the lantern from the porch. "'I wish you didn't have to put me down,' she said as they got to the building. The door guard let them in, and trainees from her court jumped to their feet and stepped back to make space when Keo carried Crystal through. He set her on the bench, which had just been vacated near the coal stove. He explained to her link leaders what had happened, and they sent a runner to the healer's building." By the time the healer got there, Crystal was mostly her normal self again and holding a cold, wet towel to the back of her head. The sergeant insisted Corps Leader Spinebeck come back to the infirmary with her to watch her overnight. When Crystal returned the next day, she acted as if nothing unusual had happened.
While the rest of the kingdom enjoyed three days of feasts, parties, and dances for the winter holiday, the camp was given a single day to celebrate the solstice. Lieutenant Gorley claimed with great condescension that Old Year's Eve was for silly children to dream of what the solstice elves would bring them on the following day. New Year's Day itself was for the overindulgent from the solstice day feast and late-night dancers to sleep off their hangovers. And since the trainees were neither children dreaming of gifts, nor would they be allowed to drink or dance until the morning sixes, the days before and after the winter solstice could be used for their much-needed training. Keo was happy to have the one day completely devoid of responsibilities. The cooking staff began roasting beef, turkey, and whole pigs early on solstice day morning. They stewed vegetables, candied fruits, and made pies from any sort of fruit or meat available. The trainees weren't required to march to the food hall in formation, but could come in small groups or as individuals. The order of chow was given, with each company assigned a time to avoid too many arriving at once. C Company was given the last time, as usual. Keo dressed in his cleanest, least worn uniform and shined his buttons with a soft cloth. His freshly polished boots shone like a star in the night. He tapped on Bree's door at the quarter before one after midday. Good day, Corlita Noshani. You look well presented today, she said, the old familiar smile spread across her face. May I help you? Bree's hair was down. On this day, the girls weren't required to wear their hair in the standard-issue clip, which held the balance of their hair behind their heads and out of their vision. Instead, she used the clip on the side of her head to hold the orange curls to the side, framing one side of her face in a curly half-moon. Keo knew his destiny and honored his calling as a creature handler, but he wished for just one day he and Bree could be regular people living regular lives with no one who would care what they might do on their own in the hayloft or walking along a secluded riverbank. I was wondering if I could escort you and your roommate to the midday meal, he asked politely. Belinda looked up from lacing her boots and smiled at him as well. Her tunic wasn't completely buttoned at the neck, yet, and he saw a little more of the girl than he had expected and turned away quickly, tongue-tied. "'Aren't you going to spend the day with Colita Spinebeck?' Bree asked, her smile fading just a little. "'We talked about it, but this is the one day in the year when I'm not expected to hold myself apart from the Corps,' he said and looked into her eyes. She was looking down at her fingernails, and Keo waited." hoping she would look up before dinner started. She did, finally, looking expectant, as if suddenly hoping he would speak. "'I wanted to spend that time with you,' he said. "'Okay,' Bree said. She sounded breathless, and her eyes sparkled. "'Maybe I should let you two go by yourselves,' Belinda said. "'No, please, Belinda, come with us. The rules of fraternization still apply,' and I wouldn't want my sudden lack of control to have a negative effect on Bree's opportunities for success. If you're so easily overcome by my feminine wiles, maybe we should send a chaperone with you on your late-night walks with Corley de Spinebeck. That won't be necessary. Crystal is like a younger sister to me, though she knows so much more about the politics of our country than I or anyone in my family does. I like her a lot, 
and I respect her for what she's gone through to get here, but I don't love her. Maybe you'd better make that more clear to her, Bree said, and there was no humor in her voice. Girls talk, and there's a lot of talk about the two of you. You think she's talking about me? Like that? Someone is. I'm just saying you might want to be very clear with her, Bree repeated. Most of the trainees from their corps had already left the barracks for the dining hall. Okay, I think I will, next chance I get. Aren't you hungry? Keo asked. We're going to be the last in line at this rate. I'm not worried, Belinda said, getting up from her bunk. You can step into line where and whenever you want, with me on one elbow and Bree on the other. We'll go right with you. On their way. Keo smiled and nodded to trainees of the first three corps who greeted them as they walked back to their own barracks after the meal. There's your little sister, Belinda said as they passed Corps Leader Spinebeck. She was several yards away and talking with some of the other members of the company and didn't see them. With her back to them, Keo wouldn't have recognized her except for her height. With the standard clip gone, her hair hung down in a mass of tightly twisted curls. Bree added, her voice lower so only they would hear, she must have slept with her hair twisted in rags to get that kind of style. Keo was surprised at his own reaction to seeing her in her best uniform, her hair out of its clipped and arranged in long walnut curls. Maybe he needed a little talk with himself about the seriousness of their relationship. To Bree's and Belinda's disappointment, Keo refused to be put at the head of the line and waited his turn. It really wasn't long, but in his mind, it was more time to have the two girls holding on to his arms and the enjoyment of their warm closeness. As Lieutenant Gorley had promised, the following morning was a normal training day. At least Keo thought it was until he gave morning report. Before the lieutenant dismissed them for the morning, he told Keo, Assign the command of your corps this morning to one of your link leaders. The battalion commander wants to speak with you. He put Bree in charge and went directly to the battalion commander's office. Lieutenant Gorley saw Keo sitting by the commander's office as he walked toward the officer's mess. What are you doing here already, Corps Leader Noshani? You could have gone to breakfast and still been here in time. Keo stood. Yes, sir. I didn't feel that hungry. I'd just as soon wait here. Carry on the lieutenant said and walked on, shaking his head. Gorley was right. Keo's stomach was growling two hours later when Captain Braitford called him in. Lieutenant Gorley was there as well as two of the other company commanders. Creature handler trainee, third class, Keo Noshani, reporting as directed, sir, Keo said, coming to attention and nodding his head in salute. Stand at ease, Noshani, the captain said, waiting a moment eyeing the boy before asking, "'Do you have any idea why you're here?' "'No, sir, I don't,' Keo replied honestly. "'There are charges of fraternization against you, young man, "'and this is nothing to bat your eyes at. "'The least that will happen is you'll be stripped of your leadership position, "'and the worst is that you'll be sent back to the capital "'for recycling into the Civic Service Corps.' "'Yes, sir,' Keo said, feeling some response was expected, but at a total loss of what was going on. "'I beg your forgiveness and understanding, Captain Braitford. 
I didn't feel that escorting two of my trainees to the mess hall for the holiday dinner would be considered a breach of protocol. I've seen officers do the very same thing on a number of occasions. We are not talking about yesterday. We are talking about the repeated and continuous abuse of your position as Corps leader to entice the leader of the First Corps to walk with you and for you to take advantage of her. May I speak candidly, Captain Braitford? I hope you would for your sake. I have never at any time taken advantage of Corps leader Spinebeck. I've never held her hand. I've never put my arm around her. I've never kissed her or done anything else inappropriate that might be considered fraternization. We have used a few minutes of our spare time in the evenings to discuss politics, the designate system, and how the kingdom is run. There was an incident a few weeks back when she slipped on some ice and hit her head. She was very dizzy and I carried her back to her barracks. The healer was called and can verify my story. When I was carrying her back, she was confused and kissed me. It was very short and I didn't ask her to do it. She said she thought I was her husband. Captain Breitford shook his head sadly and said, I have a report that you knocked her unconscious out in the darkness of the inspection grounds, that you tried to take advantage of her, but when she came around too quickly, you told her she'd slipped on ice and hit her head. Only then did you carry her back and call for the healer. Captain Breitford, I don't know where you got your report. What you've told me is a fairy tale. I would never try to harm Chris, Corps leader Spinebeck, in any way. She has been a great resource to me in understanding the ways of politics in the designations and in the kingdom. May I know who has given this report? No. Can you tell me how ice came to be on the inspection ground where Corps leader Spinebeck allegedly slipped? It had recently turned very cold, both day and night. Any water on the ground would have turned to ice, Keo said. But it hadn't rained or snowed in some time. For that one spot on the parade grounds to have ice at that time would be very suspicious. Was the ice there the next day? Honestly, I didn't think to look. Corps leader Spinebeck was recovering well and I thought the incident was over, Keo said, thinking back on the event. Then asked, Why am I not allowed to know who it is who made this report? In the village where I was raised, any person had the right to know who accused them of a crime. This is not your village, Noshani. This is the military and a training camp. We want any who bring information about crimes to be able to do so without fear of reprisal from the criminal, the commander said. Okay, then. Keo had to think of something. This was absurd. He would never hurt Crystal or try to take advantage of her. He had just told Bree the very same thing, but these people didn't seem at all willing to accept his word on that. If I bring someone who will testify that I didn't do what you claimed, would you be willing to entertain that I may be innocent and the person filing the report may have some ulterior purpose? Don't think to bring the girl in. We have already interviewed her and she has no memory of that night, the commander said. No, Captain Braitford, it would have to be someone else. You have two days to find such a witness. If you cannot do that, we will find you guilty and commit you to a period of confinement while we decide what your ultimate punishment will be, the captain said, and dismissed the court. Keo had never endured such a weight. His shoulders felt as if they would topple him to the ground, and his feet were lead weights dragging across the dead grass of the parade ground. Everywhere around him seemed out of focus. 
Why wouldn't they believe him? Who would bring such a charge against him? What would happen if he was expelled from the creature training camp? But finally, who could vouch for his innocence? Was it time to pull his sister into this? She was commander of the entire camp. They would have to believe her. He found his way back to the barracks. It was still two before midday, and the Corps was training elsewhere in the camp. He had to think. There had to be a way out of this dilemma. He sat in his room, racking his brain, but his thoughts only went in the same circle time and time again until he heard a familiar voice outside calling, Corps dismissed. Trainees pounded down the wooden floor of the passageway. A half hour remained before lunch, and there was always something to clean, polish, or repair. Once the halls were mostly silent, he walked into the passage. Bree, I've got a problem, and I can't see a way out. They sat in the small common room at the front of the barracks, close to the coal stove, and Keo went over each element of the meeting with the battalion commander. So Crystal is your only witness, and remembers nothing of the night, Bree said. Keo nodded. And someone says they saw you hit her on the head and tried to take advantage of her. Keo nodded again and said, Almost everyone in our company knows that I often walk with her in the evenings. Probably half the battalion knows. So, if someone wanted to set you up for a fall, or crystal, it would be pretty easy, Bree said. What's that supposed to mean? Keo asked. Come on. I thought you were supposed to be the genius here, Bree said with a laugh. At least half of the designate thirds hate you, and the other half don't like you. You've shown them how you don't have to be a designate to be a leader. And you've also turned one who they wanted to see fail into a very solid core leader. So right there are twelve people who wouldn't mind seeing you taken down a notch, or two, or three. Okay. If I am the only witness of my innocence, and I'm up against a designate third, who is supposed to be the very foundation of all that is honorable, who can vouch for me? Yeah, Bree said. It's not as if someone could climb inside your mind and walk around, checking the facts to see if you're telling the truth or not. They stared at each other for some time. Bree's mouth seemed so small when she wasn't smiling. The way her lips pooched out and her brow furrowed when she thought hard made Keo smile. When she noticed him smiling at her, she smiled back and asked, What do you find that's so funny? I was just trying to think if there was anyone I knew who could go inside my head and look around, like you said, Keo said. So why are you looking at me? I can't do it. Yeah, but you know someone who can, and so do I. It clicked with her as well, as she smiled back, but she said, You can ask, but I don't think she has ever done that. I don't think anyone has. While the Corps was going about their afternoon activities, Keo sought out Sergeant Nightsong and told her of his predicament. She sympathized with him, but didn't see what she could do to help. Sergeant, you are the most powerful empath this camp has ever known. Some say you're almost magical in your ability, Keo said, eyeing her for a response. When he saw none, he said, I'll someday be the most powerful empath our kingdom has ever known. You're awfully confident, aren't you? I've been told that, Keo said. 
But wouldn't you think that the two most powerful empaths in known history should be able to open up and touch each other's minds? Keo placed his hands flat on the desk where the sergeant worked and said, You're my only hope, Sergeant Nightsong. I'm going to be court-martialed and sent to jail, demoted and possibly sent to the Civic Service Corps for something I didn't do. Can't we at least try? Keo, I can try, but I'm not magic. It will be my word against that of the informant, my word that I looked inside your mind and found the truth, she said. Yes, but your word is a lot to a lot of people, and a whole lot more than mine, Keo said. They sat across the table from each other and relaxed. Keo closed his eyes and tried to make his mind go blank. It was no small task. With his fears of suspension or exile to the Civic Service Corps, it was difficult to find a quiet and still place. When he finally did, he reached out to the sergeant's mind, just as he would to one of the creatures. He found only the darkness in the room. There was no hazy ball of intelligence his mind could find and latch onto as he could with the creatures. He tried harder and tried to keep the fear of failure down while trying to calm his mind even more. He shifted on the bench as sweat ran down his chest and spine, soaking his undertunic. It's not working, Keo. I'm sorry. I wish it did. I really do, she said. Sergeant Nightsong's ermine swan trumpeted outside sounding agitated or fearful. Sergeant, why not connect with your creature? You can speak with it, and I can speak with it. Maybe it can read my mind to you. I don't think so, Keo. I can only give commands to my creature. His desperation must have been etched as clearly on his face as he felt it in his chest. She bowed her head and said, But I'll try. Keo reached out to the creature. It was there, outside the building. He'd felt its presence the whole afternoon. Connecting with it was as simple as opening a window to let in a fresh breeze. But when he opened the window this time, the creature was not the only one outside. When his connection opened up with the creature, a brilliant glow surrounded its intelligence, and the glow rushed toward him like a flash of lightning. He was inside the sergeant's mind, and she inside his. He was high up in the mountain spires, and the world dropped away at the very toes of his boots. Vertigo overwhelmed him, and he felt the biting cold of the sergeant's memories against her skin as she stepped from the caves of the mountain elves. Her mother, a human, looked small and pale against the dark cave dweller at her side. With tears in her eyes, she waved goodbye to her daughter, who was leaving the world of the elves to join that of the humans. Keo forced himself back to his own mind. He wasn't in the half-elf's mind to learn her secrets. He was there for her to walk the corridors of his mind. He turned his thoughts back to the night when Crystal had fallen. He saw her again on the ground, the smear of her dark brown hair against the gray of the dry grass beneath her. A pair of semi-transparent feet stepped around the unconscious girl. It's here. The answer is here. Keo heard an obscure whisper in his mind. I can see it. It's here at her feet, the ice. A large round splash of it, and the drops frozen where they fell as if someone poured water in a hurry. Keo tried to look, but the only images he could find were those with which he was familiar. His friend, unconscious on the cold ground, 
himself kneeling at her side and asking her if she could hear him, if she was all right. Again, he saw her finally coming around and then carrying her back to the barracks. In the corner of his mind's eye was the woman who traveled this memory with him. And her, I can see her, the one who told. It's so much like her. It has to be her. Sergeant Nightsong saw the kiss, heard Crystal's words and his own, and then followed him into the barracks, where he sat her near the coal stove. They were back in the stable. The ermine swan's presence was discernible through the stone wall of her quarters, like a friend sleeping in another room. Kyo, I showed you my memory so that you would trust me to allow me in to see yours. I saw things in your memory that your eyes, ears, and other senses perceived, but not strongly enough for you to remember them. There was water on the ground at Crystal's feet. Not much, but enough and placed just right for the girl to step into and slip. I saw those who watched from a distance, and I saw the one smile. The one who I assume poured the water, hoping the snare would be tripped. Kayleen watched from the shadows of the B Company barracks. The following morning, Sergeant Nightsong sat with Keo at the company commander's office and declared to the commander that she would vouch for Keo, staking her own reputation and career on his innocence. She described the ice in detail, repeated Keo's words to Crystal and her silly giggle and mistaken identity. She described Kayleen and Storgant, peering from the shadows and laughing at their success. And while they need not accept her testimony as evidence that those two were the ones who wrought the plan, they must accept it as proof of Keo's innocence. I will gladly demonstrate the process of cross-empathy, if you would like, Captain Braitford, with you and your own armor dog. Since the experience with Corlido Noshani, yesterday afternoon, I have had a similar experience with several of my co-workers. I have found that a person can control which memory they share, but the details around that memory cannot be altered or limited by the person with the memory. We, in the empath school, will be experimenting with the process for a very long time. After the inquiry, Keo caught up with his corps as they arrived at weapons training. Many of the students eyed him as they lined up for sword practice and began warm-up exercises. Bree and the other link leaders gathered around him. How did it go? Bree asked with reservation. Fine, Keo said. They absolved me of any wrongdoing. Link leader Waterside said, You don't look at all that pleased. What's wrong? No, Nick, you're right. I should be happy to move on, get back to normal. Keo shook his head and unlatched the sheath of his practice sword. The battalion commander told me I could go back to acting as I had, as corps leader, that there was no permanent tarnish on my name or reputation. That's what he said, but they all still looked at me like I had stolen the butter out of the churn. Don't worry, Keo. Everything will be back to normal before you know it, Bree said, oozing sympathy. Sure, Keo nodded, though he didn't quite believe it. I'm sure it will. Thank you for listening to the Pariah Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you could help me out by going to iTunes and leaving a review, I'd love you for the rest of my life. Any kind of feedback to an author, producer, 
is more sustaining than food and water. If you'd like to know what else I've written or am writing, stop by my website at norvaljoe.com or like my Facebook page at facebook.com slash philipcarrollauthor. Philip with one L, Carol with two R's and two L's. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.